Welcome to the Northridge Church Podcast, a weekly rewind of Sunday's talk. Chad referred to it, it's a true statement that we all intuitively know, and that is, for good or for bad at times, dads shape us, don't they? Dads shape our understanding of the world. Dads shape how we view the things around us. Dads show us how to live in this world. I was reminded of that this weekend even, without even trying to find a sermon illustration. Here I am with Dax. We're at uh, my brother and sister-in-law come in for a quick 24-hour little visit on Friday and Saturday. We're eating uh, at a bar- barbecue place at uh, City Butcher. And, you know, if you don't know my son, he is, to say the word enamored with blow-ups is an understatement. I mean, under, blow-ups are like bail to him. They're his idol. They, he worships at the feet of any blow-up you can find. When we go to, uh, when we go to B-City blow-ups in Rogersville uh, that has hundreds and hundreds of blow-ups during the Christmas season, that's like him going to the Vatican. No offense to you Catholics out there. Uh, that, he, that he just loves him. And so we just happened to, he mentioned to me as we were finishing up our barbecue yesterday, he's like, Daddy, can we go to at home to look at the blow-ups? And I said, certainly, Dax, thinking we were going to look at the blow-ups. But in Dax's world, when he said to look at the blow-ups, he meant to go buy several blow-ups. And so we're there looking, and he starts begging for him. You know, please, please let me have a blow-up. Please, can I have another blow-up? I'm like, Dax, you have plenty. Our, our utility bill this month is going to be berserk. No more. We don't need any more. Plus, your mother might just string me up if we walk home with another blow up. And he just keeps on begging me, begging me. And my brother's there with us. And he reminded, he finally had enough of hearing Dax begging. And so he reminded my son of a proverb that my dad used all the time for us that I had just kind of whitewashed over the years and just forgotten about. And, and my brother Tim said, Dax, there is something our father said to us all the time that you need to learn and live and love. And that is, if you want it so bad, get a job and you can buy it for yourself. And I'm like, thank you, Tim. And that ended the conversation then. When he heard that, that he realized I can mess with dad, but I don't think I can mess with Uncle Tim. So he just kind of we walked away from that situation then. And yes, for those of you who are putting money on it, Dax did not end up with a blow up. So I stood my ground on that one. Now, what you don't know is today when mom's gone, we're going to go buy, back and buy one, I think. So anyway, regardless. Um, uh, so, you know, in, in, in all seriousness, my dad, for all of his foibles and for all the areas that, that uh, are, were flawed, you know, I thought through this week of what he taught me. And, and my dad did teach me faithfulness. You know, I saw this man work tirelessly at his job without necessarily accolades and awards, but he just worked hard because that's what a man did. And he was faithful to his company. He was faithful to his family. He was faithful to his wife. That My dad was not a, he, he was by no means a Romeo, but in an era where there was stories and whispers and outright, not just whispers, but just bold statements about over-the-road truck drivers and what happened when, when men got you know, 100, 200, 300 miles away from their home. My dad never had any of those things attached to his name. He was a faithful 
husband. He was a faithful father. My dad, I learned patience from my dad that he could just keep on pushing no matter how annoyed, no matter how frustrated he would get with kids just, you know, just chipping away at him. You know, he would just keep on pushing forward. Uh, my dad taught me to be thankful for the little things. My dad, uh, eighth grade education and began working uh, in his ninth grade year and was poor by, by our standards of today and the standards of even 50 years ago. He grew up in a poor home and so he was appreciative of things like a working car and he was appreciative of, of hot meal and he was appreciative of a warm bed and so he taught me to be thankful for even little things that many of us just don't look at uh, and we just we just you know assume that those are our rights and i recognize that i put the question out a couple of weeks ago where i just asked people you know what did your dad's teach you and sarah shared with me she said that uh, she remembered her dad saying to her over and over and over again, you will appreciate it more if you earn it. Sounds like there was like all of our dads got together in that generation and was trying to all teach us a certain thing with different words, I guess. Uh, she talked about how she was telling me about how growing up, he was a hard, now these are her words, so if you're offended with me, you know, it's her words, I'm just quoting here. He was a hard butt, okay? And, uh, and so because of that, as a teenager, she was not very close to him because she, she kind of feared him. She's kind of scared of him a bit, but now growing as an adult, she has developed a deeper, closer relationship with him because she recognizes and, and understands that everything he did was to protect her and because he loved her. This is why we look to Joseph during this season, because dads teach us, for good or bad, dads teach us how to view this world. Dads teach us how to live in this world. And you got you to, gotta, when you think about it, Jesus, when he was born, many things that he came to look upon the earth had to be through the eyes, through the lens of his earthly father, Joseph. And so, the next month, we're going to look at this Christmas story through the perspective of Joseph, through the perspective of a dad's eyes when we examine the birth and the life of Jesus. And so we turn initially to Matthew 13, just to help us with our thinking. Matthew 13, verse 54, uh, Jesus is an adult here. We fly way ahead 30 years, 30 plus years, and Jesus is teaching in a synagogue, and verse 54 says, coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people, he being Jesus, he began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed, the scripture says. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked? Isn't this the carpenter's son? You know, they're, they're surprised by how Jesus is acting because isn't this Joseph's son? He's a carpenter. What, what, why is he acting like this? Why does he have this kind of authority? Uh, they tied Jesus back to the carpenter. They tied Jesus back to Joseph. And they see the connection between Jesus and Joseph. And so it's only poignant for us to look at this carpenter during this season to see what we can learn about who we are and what God, how God is shaping us in our lives. And so the question that we ask, and by the way, today I just I have a lot of questions, not very many answers for you. Uh, 
Today is riddled with questions for you. You might want to write one of them down and think about it this week. Maybe write about it or, or write about it in your quiet time. Talk about it with your husbands and wives and your kids. Talk about it with your parents or neighbors. The first question I approach today is, who is Joseph? Because the reality is we don't really know a whole lot about Joseph. There's only 16 verses I have found that are dedicated to Joseph in the Bible. Now, on the, on the one hand, we sit back and go, that's not a lot to go with. That's, you know, the, the historians, the, the, the biblical scholars would use, call this source material. And they'd say, that's not a lot of source material to go with. There's a lot of blanks here that we have to fill in. There's a lot of room for interpretation and speculation. Uh, on the other hand, I guess it'd be kind of cool. I'd be pretty proud if there were 16 verses dedicated to me in the Bible. I mean, that'd be pretty impressive to have that. So, you know, you got to take the good with the bad, I suppose. But the fact of the matter is there are only 16 verses dedicated. So who is this guy? There's two theories. One theory that was adopted by, by uh, some in the church said that Joseph was older. He was an older man who had a family. His wife, his first wife died, and Mary was a second wife. And the idea was Mary was probably 13 or 14 years old when she married. There was one legend that said that Joseph was actually 93 years old marrying a 13 or 14-year-old, and he had six children already in place, many of them already grown adults with their own children. Jesus, uh, Joseph was, he was, you know, a grandfather in, in this tradition at the time that Jesus was born. Now, a second and more likely interpretation or, or uh, idea of who Joseph was is more than likely many people today and many scholars believe that Joseph was probably between the ages of 14 and 16 years old. And more than likely, Jesus was his first child that was in his family, that Mary was his first wife and his only wife. He, we, we know that Joseph died at an early age. We don't know how. We know that when Jesus was in his 30s, there was no Joseph there any longer just married. We also know about Joseph. We, we know and, and understand him to be a carpenter. And so most of us, if you think of carpenter, you're thinking that he uh, is building houses and building homes. Well, the only problem was he was building in an area that built their homes mainly out of clay and brick and rock. And Joseph specifically, the word carpenter, the, the word that we translate and get for carpenter is tecton, tecton. T-E-K-T-O-N. And what that literally means is a worker of wood. And so Joseph was more than, he was not a stonemason. He was not a home builder. He built, if he was building and adding to homes, it was be, he was building the doors of the homes. Because yes, in that day, they had wooden doors on their homes. He was building shutters for the windows. But more than likely, even beyond that, what he was building was furniture. He was building farm tools. He was building plows and yokes. And we know that he taught his first son the trade. The reason we know this is because we have a document uh, written by a source that we trust, a source that is highly reliable, a guy by the name of Justin Martyr in AD 150. He wrote that Jesus was in the habit of working as a tecton, making plows and yokes when he was amongst the people. That Jesus lived and made a trade as a worker of wood. He taught his son this. 
And so the question I ask as we think of this Joseph, who was probably a young man married with a, with a baby on the way, who was working as a tecton, not a master builder, not a master craftsman, but just a run-of-the-mill worker in his, in his field uh, and teaching his own son the same trade, I just ask you the question, was the role of dad critical in Jesus' life? A question, I guess, for us to ask with that is, was the role of dad critical in your life, right? Was the role of dad critical in the life of Jesus? I believe when we look at the 16 verses of source material, these 16 verses dedicated to Joseph, were all about the beginning of Jesus' life. I would argue that, yes, the role of dad was immensely critical in the raising of Jesus from a baby to a a young boy to an adolescent boy to a teenager and an ultimately young man. And so that begs the question, why would Joseph have been chosen by God to serve as Jesus' earthly dad? Why would God choose? God could choose anyone, could choose anyone to father Jesus in my thinking, and I think for you guys, for you men and women out there, if you could choose your children or, you know, if you, you said, okay, I, I can't be here any longer. I can't raise my child and I have, to, I have the, the incredible ability to, to hand them off to someone else. Who would you choose for your son, for your daughter to, to be raised by? I mean, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, I, I want someone that's highly educated, Right. I want someone who has many opportunities to 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 many opportunities in front of them to to uh, have great careers. I I would choose someone who is who is highly esteemed within within our culture. I mean, you know, I, I kind of scratch my head at who God chose a a lowly carpenter, a guy who makes farm implements, and a guy who makes furniture. Uh, what wouldn't wouldn't God choose like? A high priest, you know? Wouldn't he choose a ruler or someone that was someone that had authority and power, someone that could get Jesus in the best of synagogues and get him in the best schools to to be one of the most, you know, premier authorities of scripture, to, to give Jesus a platform from which he could teach? I mean, in our society, we're we're seeing, we hear a lot in our culture about this group of people that I am keenly aware I'm not one of, you know, that are able to get their kids into Stanford or get their kids into Harvard or Yale because that's where, that's where the intelligentsia, that's where the leaders of the next generation are being chosen from. Well, wouldn't I want, if I was not going to be on this earth, wouldn't I want to give Dax to a, a man who would be able to put him in that kind of environment and yet all of those people struck out when God was looking through the line of men that he could trust with his son. And that's the word for today. I believe, looking at the text, that the reason why Joseph was chosen was because he could be trusted by God. God trusted Joseph. I, I don't believe this is just my opinion in which I'm just spouting off some, 
some thoughts here. I think as we look at the scriptures, as we look at the proof text, and that's what we're going to do over the next month, is look very closely at all of these different tellings of how Joseph interacted with Jesus and the world around him at the time of the birth of Jesus. One word that just keeps on popping up is that Joseph was trusted by God. He had the right heart that would allow, that would be the perfect environment for Jesus to be raised. I mean, we see this when, when Joseph first remembered, and we'll look at this in closer detail, but in Matthew 1, remember the story is that, that Mary, who is not yet fully wed to Joseph, she is engaged to him, and in that culture, an engagement was as good as being married, but they were not technically married yet. She announces, oh, I'm pregnant, but it's okay because the Holy Spirit was the one who impregnated me. Joseph did not fall off a turnip truck, and he just heard, he did not hear, I'm pregnant because the Holy Spirit came upon me and, and, and put Jesus in me. He just heard, I'm pregnant. Joseph did some quick math and knew it was not by me. And so we see Joseph's heart here because he, he had the legal right to divorce her and make it a very public spectacle to put immense amount of shame upon her family. And realistically, and you've probably heard this before about how he could have Mary executed. Realistically, women were not executed at that time for, for faithlessness. Uh, legally, they were not executed. But realistically, probably what would happen is there would be a mob that would, would come together, an illegal mob, and they probably would do something very terrible to Mary as a way to shame her and to punish her and to you know just basically show her what for, right? That probably would have happened. Joseph's heart, we see it here. He wanted, he was hurt. He was hurt here because he thought Mary had betrayed him. And yet he said in the midst of this, I will divorce her quietly. I will make this go away so that people don't realize what happened because he did not want to see that happen to this woman who he, who he cared for, who, this woman who he knew was made in the image of God. He had the right heart, and he also had the right temperament. And when I describe that, what I'm saying is everywhere we see Joseph's name attached, we also see Joseph, even when he does not understand it, he says yes to God. Even when he doesn't understand why this is happening, he says yes, God. We see this in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. When, when Matthew's just describing the, the birth of Jesus, he says in verse 18, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. So we've already heard that story. We've heard this, verse 19. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public dis disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. So we've heard that part, that piece already. We've talked about it, verse 20. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And then here we see, we skip ahead to verse 24. When Joseph woke up, get this, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him 
and took Mary home as his wife. Now let's dwell on that because this is profound. And, and I know we're all in the same boat. We've read this verse. If you grew up in church, you've read this verse or heard this verse spoken to you hundreds of times. It's so easy for us to know it like the back of our hand that we can just allow the profundity. There's the word of the day for you. Thank you very much. The profoundness, right? That's what profundity means. The profundity of, of this verse, how, how crazy this passage is. How did he know how this was going to turn out? He did not, did he? Joseph, Joseph did not have an advanced copy of the scriptures where he could flip ahead and go, okay, let's see where this story lands. Let's see where this goes. Oh, oh, okay, I see that in the end, Jesus would rise from the dead. He would reclaim his rightful place at the right hand of God. He would be, put himself back on the celestial uh, throne. He would put that celestial crown of glory on his head. He would grasp the scepter of eternal authority. Oh, okay, that if I'm just faithful and I just do A, B, and C, then I am going to successfully raise the Messiah of the universe. He didn't have that ability. So what was it that guided Joseph? What was it that gave him the right temperament to say yes to God, even in the most confusing of circumstances? We see it here in the scripture. It was a dream. It was a dream. He dreamed that an angel came to him and said, Joseph, the fact that, that Mary is pregnant, she did not get pregnant by earthly means. It was the Holy Spirit that did it. Now take her as your wife and name your son Jesus because he's going to be the Messiah. He's basing all of this on years and years and years of being a faithful Jew and studying God's word and, and having a deep expectation that the Messiah would come one day. And he based this on a dream. He was guided by this dream. Could you imagine that for yourself? I mean, what if you chose to, to make some of life's biggest decisions because you went to bed and you had a dream? I mean, how many of us have done that? How many of us have chosen what schools to go to because we went to bed and we had a dream about going to MSU or Drury or Evangel? How many of us chose what field to get into because we had a dream one day? How many of us chose our mates because of a dream that we had? We don't do that, do we? That's crazy. That's insane. Only insane people make life decisions based on dreams, right? But Joseph was such a person of immense faith that when he had more than a dream, but he understood, he understood that this was an angelic visitation through a dream, that he said yes to God. He said yes to the word, to the command that God gave him. It's absolutely amazing. And so the question that I have to beg to ask is, we see how God used Joseph, not because he was the brightest, not because he was the noblest, not because he was the wealthiest or the most spiritual, but because he could be trusted. He could be trusted. What does that say to us today? Can, can God trust us? Can God trust us? When we have been given a word from God, do we follow it? 
And you go, okay, what are you talking about, Tony? I'm talking about when you are sitting there, maybe in your quiet time, or maybe you're sitting there during a church service, and you get a very deep inclination. You hear something. You know, it's those times that I hear when people say, man, I felt like you were just talking to me right then. And you know, the funny thing is oftentimes when you are sharing with me about how I'm saying something very specific to you, more often than not, when you're saying this point that you made, if I look at my notes, that point that I made in your life had nothing to do with the notes, right? Uh, sometimes I'm like, are you sure you were talking about my sermon? Because what you're describing did not happen up on this stage. And, and you know what? When, when I have that scenario occur to me, I have high degree of confidence, high degree of confidence that what you've experienced is a touch, not from an incredible preacher that has an incredible communication skill, but you had a touch from the Holy Spirit because you just were faithful to show up to church one day and open up God's Word and allow God's Word to begin working within your heart and your life, and then you get an inclination, you get a touch from the Lord to do something. Maybe it's an action to take. Maybe it's an attitude to pick up or an attitude to take away, you know? Maybe, maybe it's, it's something very specific to do. Maybe it's something very specific to stop in your life. And you're sitting right here and you go, okay, God, I hear this from you. I hear this word from you. Have you been obedient with the last word given to you by God? Because, see, the way God can trust us, when we answer, can God trust us, it's not, we, God doesn't trust us because of how many verses we have memorized or how many times in a year that we go to church or how much money we give to the church or how many times we volunteer throughout the month. Now, hear me very clearly. All those things are keenly important. All those things are very good. I, as your pastor, would never tell you to stop going to church or stop giving a tithe or stop volunteering. I mean, frankly, if we stopped doing those things, we'd stop being a church. You know, the organization could never work. I'm not telling you to stop doing those things. I'm just saying that God doesn't look upon those things as proof text for can he trust you, right? It's not, he's not looking for actions. He's not looking for the best and the brightest. He's not looking for the fastest. He's not looking for the one that's the proven leader, but God is looking for someone that is obedient to the last word he gave them. So I ask you the question. I ask, can God trust us? Now, let's get a little more personal. Can God trust you? Can God trust you? That kind of cuts through the clutter, doesn't it? It kind of takes away, you know, we, we hide behind sanctimony and piousness and, you know, talk about, you know, the, you know, talk about like, like man's inhumanity man or the, you know, we, we use big terms here, uh, the sanctity of the Bible, sanctity of, of the Christian life. We, but, but I just cut through the, the religion jargon and just simply ask at the end of the day, can God trust you with an assignment? Can God trust you to follow what he is asking you to do. And so that begs the question, I told you today was going to be a lot of questions, that begs the question, what has God told you to do? What's the last time God has spoken to you? For Some of us, maybe it was just like a week ago or a month ago, and you're like, it's right there on your 
mind maybe you've been wrestling with and you're like, I know it. I know exactly what you're talking about right now, Tony. For some of us, the answer is, I don't know. I don't remember when God's talked to me. I don't, I don't, I don't, I can't remember that. Well, now let's dive into that for just a second. Here's the reality. If you are a Christ follower, if you have said yes to Jesus and he is in your life, here's what I know. I know that God has, loves to communicate to his people. And he does it through various and sundry ways. Sometimes it's through, through another believer just connecting and confirming something you've been wrestling with. Sometimes it's through God's word. Sometimes it's in prayer. Sometimes it's in life circumstance. But God communicates. And so when people come into my office and now hear me, because this might be you and I'm not making fun of you and I'm not trying to put you down because that's not the case. No one wins if you feel that way. But when I see a Christian who comes to me and says, man, God doesn't talk to me, my statement is this. Is I go, yes, he does. Yes, he does. You're not listening. You're not listening. Or if once you start listening, he's not communicating to you, then chances are you put your faith in some kind of religious sacrament. You put your faith in baptism or you put your faith by writing your name down in, on a church roll or you put your faith in the fact that you attend church. But the reality is, if God, if once you're tuned in and you're listening, you don't hear anything, you're just hearing crickets, then, then there might be a case that maybe you've never truly surrendered your heart and life to Jesus and trusted him to forgive you of your sins and to, to place your life there. Because the reality, I know this, is God speaks to his people. And oftentimes the plague of 20th century America, why we as many Christians don't hear God's voice is either we're not listening, we're just so tuned into our own lives and our own busyness and our own activity. And the, you know, the, we're, most of us were that MTV generation, right? And we're hearing noise. We got to have noise hitting us all the time and bombarding us that we're not tuned into the voice of God. Some of us, now this is where I'm coming, this is, this is my home run here, okay? But it's, it's profound, it's a profound thought. It's just not said very excitedly, I apologize. It was Thanksgiving week, you know. Um, here's, here's the thought. Some of us, the reason God's not speaking to us is because God doesn't stutter, okay? And so when he tells us something, and we say, yeah, yeah, yes, God, we'll do it, we will do it. And then we turn away and we don't do it. Oftentimes, I've, at least in my life, what I've experienced is God doesn't give the next assignment. He doesn't give us the next statement until we follow through on the last statement. You think about this in your own life, your kids. And this is bad parenting, I know it, but you tell your kid, clean, clean your room. Okay, Dad, you know, okay, I will. Oh, and then you come back an hour later, it's still just dirty. You tell your kid, clean your room, clean your room, clean your room, clean your room. Tammy, tell me the truth. What happens after the 60th time you've said it? You clean your own kid's room, or you just, let, you just say, okay, fine, it's going to be a pig pen. But guess what? You don't, you don't ask them to clean something else, do you? You don't give them another assignment because they won't do the, the first assignment, right? You, you just go, okay, fine, you're not going to do this. I'm moving on to some, I'm going to do something else here. God, when he tells you something, he gives you an assignment. He's not going to give you another assignment that's even bigger than the first until you've done the first thing, right? And so I found, at least in my life, when I experience those times where I've gone a long time and maybe I've experienced this dryness, I'm like, Lord, I haven't experienced a fresh word from you 
Oftentimes I start looking through my quiet time and I start reflecting and I go like, the reason I haven't heard a fresh word in the last couple of months is because he gave me something to do. And I said, okay, God, I'll do that. And then I get up and I forget to do it and I don't do it. And so that's why I go back to ask you the question, what has been the last thing, what has been the last word that God gave to you? And for some of us, maybe we have to go back to something that was said to us a year ago or two years ago or three years ago or 25 years ago. I was with a person a while back ago who was sharing with me, an older person, who said, you know, when I was a child, when I was a teenager, I was in this thing called ACT Teens. It was a mission organization in Southern Baptist churches for teenage girls. And she said, and this was a lady who was in her 80s, and she said, when I was an ACT teen, 14 years old, I heard a call to be a missionary. And I said yes to God. But then I took the way chosen by most. And when I went to high school, I found a man who I fell in love with. And this was a man who had no call on his life. Matter of fact, he was not even a believer. And I decided I loved him and honestly, I loved him more than I loved God. And so we got married and we had kids and we had a good marriage. We, but the thing was that I was always just kind of had my foot just kind of in church because the rest of my family wouldn't come to church. And she's like, I look back on my life now and I realize that God called me to something and I said no to it. And I've not heard his voice. This is, she's talking to me. She's telling me that she said, I've not heard his voice since then. Now, make it clear, this woman's still a believer. I'm not saying she lost her salvation over this. But I'm saying, what a, that was a sad story to hear a life that God had chosen, God had set aside. God had called, put a special call in this young lady's life. And she opted for other things. And she missed out on so many blessings. And here's the reality, friends. God didn't just look at that young lady as a special person, set aside from everyone else. Every one of us, friends, every one of us who's a Christ follower, God looks at with the same kind of passion and intensity and love as he did for that lady. And so I'm not saying that he's calling you, I'm not saying that you should have been in act teens, especially men, you shouldn't be in act teens. But I'm not saying that you, every person here is a call to foreign missions, but I'm saying this, every person here is loved and adored by God and God has put a thumbprint on you that is so special. And in order for you to fully experience it, in order for you to truly grasp it and to truly attain what it is he wants for you, it requires for you to be obedient to the last word that he gave you. So for you, what was the last word that God spoke to you? If you sit back and go, Tony, I believe there was something, but man, that was so long ago, there's no way I can remember it. You know what I find? I find that the Holy Spirit is so good that when we approach him and say, God, I believe that you gave me an assignment, but honestly, it's been so long and I've not paid attention to it. Forgive me for that. And would you share that with me again? Share with me what was the last word that you spoke to me? There, God has a pretty profound way of honoring that prayer request and speaking to you, maybe not in a dream like Joseph, Maybe not through an angelic visitation like Mary, but in the next days and weeks, you will find things popping up from your past. And if you have your eyes in tune and your ears open, you'll hear that message from God. I'm confident of it because I've experienced it in my own life. And I know that God would honor that request and he would tell you again when you're saying, I'm ready, I'm ready to hear this. 
Maybe it was a long time ago, but God will reveal that to you when you're saying, I'm in tune, in tune and attentive. Because the reality is this, God trusts us when we say yes to him and we follow through. The problem is we live in that, we live in that Jesus rally culture thanks to people like me, all right? Thanks, I was a youth minister in the height of the Jesus rally culture where the, the answer to any problem was, let's have a rally for it, you know? Teen suicide going too high, let's have a rally for it. You know, let's bring in an evangelist, let's buy $500 worth of pizza, let's have a rock band, we're gonna have a rally, we're gonna talk about it. You know, teen pregnancy, we're gonna have a rally about it, right? Throw out rings to everyone, everyone put a ring on your finger, let's cry a little bit, let's have some tears. Okay, that's problem taken care of, you know? Men, you're not living up. We're going to have a rally for it. We're going to go to Denver, and we're going to hear, you know, Max Lucado speak, and we're going to hear some rock bands, and men, you're going to get to cry when no one's watching. It's going to be great. You're going to have a great. We're going to have a, we're going to have a rally, right? We live in this rally culture, and so in this rally culture, everyone, Chad, you go to rallies. Everyone in the rally raises their hand. Who's going who's gonna to live for Jesus when you get home? Everyone raises their hand. Who's going to be the perfect husband? Everyone raises their hand. Who's going to be the perfect wife? Everyone's going to raise their hand. You know, who's going to share their faith with Jesus or about Jesus it, with all their friends every time they're given an opportunity. Everyone raises their hand in the rally. And then when you go into real life, that's a different story, isn't it? God could trust Joseph because he said yes. In Joseph's life, his yes meant something. And he was obedient. So during this Christmas season, why don't we lean deep and hard into what our yes looks like in our lives when God is speaking to us. Pray with me. Father, we come before you today. And God, thank you. Thank you for giving us this image of this person, this man, who was just a, a hard worker. He was a young man who, who just followed you even when it didn't make sense. Even when his wife tells him that, he, that she is carrying the, the baby of you, he had the faith and the wherewithal just to follow your direction. Oh God, may you find us as people that will do the same thing, that we will follow your direction, not because it makes sense in our heads, not because we've got a, it fits into our plan, but because you tell us which direction to go, we just go. We just go. Would you find us as a people in this church that would be people that you could trust with assignments, God? You would trust us with things that you have in mind for, for Southwest Missouri. You would trust us with plans and purposes for the people that are connected to us in our lives. May we be that kind of people today. These things we pray in your son's powerful name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Northbridge Church Podcast. If you'd like more information about Northbridge Church, you can find us online at mynorthbridge.org.